and welcome to Jag Bags, a discussion of all things pop culture. I'm Mike Byer. And I have Bears Fever! And welcome to the Super Bowl preview, which we will get to <laughs> in just a moment. You are listening live from the home studios in Woodridge, Illinois. The wow. crowd also has Bears Fever, yeah. as tonight we will be discussing the incredible results over the weekend from the NFL contests. We'll also be talking uh, the results of uh, Len's latest bracket featuring the popular grunge era band Pearl Jam and their rock type songs. Uh, we'll also be uh, talking the NBA college hoops. I recommend where Len and I will recommend uh, something, just something in life for your life, uh, life that hopefully makes it better. Tonight is a historic recap episode because tonight I will be concluding Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time. This is it. This uh, is it. This is it. I, wow. I will be lost. And uh, actually next week I have something that I will do, um, but I'll get to that at the appropriate time in tonight's recap. Wow. So. A little mystery from beef tonight too. Well, one good mystery deserves another. Wow. And finally, Len, hopefully will be giving us <laughs> Is uh, uh all to his favorite 500 albums, um, which he will present, um, with help no, actually, no help from Alex Ron Ron and Illinois bas men's basketball coach Brad Underwood. Um, and he will present these for my review and judgment, and also for you, the Diamond listeners. We're glad you're here. Thanks for continuing to support Jag Bags both here and abroad. So, uh, yeah. Before we start, actually, let's just start. Let's get right to it. The Pearl Jam bracket, uh, the finals, by the time you hear this, the finals will be over. Are you? It's over. Oh, it is over. I missed the winner. Yeah. Was it uh, Was it announced today? Yeah. Oh, I missed it. All right. So let's, let's not keep the listeners in any more suspense. What song won the Pearl Jam bracket? Black was the winner. <laughs> I am very pleased with the winner. This, this could be the most pleased I've been with the bracket. Bracket. What? This could be the most pleased that I have been. Oh, really? With the bracket winner. Because is that your favorite Pearl Jam song? It is. Um, oh, okay. I didn't know that. I have to say that it is. I would have been happy with any of really any of the big hits from their first album. Um, I would not have been pleased with Daughter or Better Man or uh, but as it turns out, I mean black is a bit of a deep cut, isn't it? Yeah, I I'm very surprised by the results. It wasn't a big Pearl Jam is a super popular band. Yeah. But not amongst my Facebook friends, apparently. I am I kind of surprised. It kind of, it's, well, you know what? I mean, it does kind of speak to, you know, do you think Pearl Jam is a band that can, you know, you know, enjoy longevity? I, I could see them surviving into into another generation. All it takes is, a, like we said last week, a good TikTok song, you know, a good TikTok or a movie appearance for the right Pearl Jam song in the right moment used properly. And uh, Pearl Jam's popularity uh, could skyrocket again. Um, so uh, they're also they're still touring. They announced they're going to tour next year. Yeah. So maybe I'll actually get to see them first time ever. That'd be yeah, nice. That'd be good. Here's my question. I have to put up the bucks for it. Yeah, that won't be cheap. Um, We're, I'm trying to think, Um, and I'll put the question to Ron Ron, Franklin Sampson, and the folks at PricewaterhouseCoopers who are in charge <laughs> of ballot tabulation and uh, confirmation of the results. Um, But I can't remember a bracket that had a deep cut, like a non-single, a non-big hit 
it win the whole bracket. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I think so. I don't remember like a really deep cut winning. Yeah. But honestly, me neither. I don't I don't remember the winners too often, probably because I don't, I wouldn't say the ones that win are expected, but they're usually at least fairly well known. It's not a surprise or not exactly a surprise. Cuz I, I but I think the people that voted in this were at least fans of the first few Pearl Jam albums. So that's why I went a little deeper. Agreed. But the ones you mentioned, Daughter, Better Man, they they got knocked out pretty early. Yeah. Um, I was really surprised. I mean, I knew everybody loves Hunger Strike. So I wasn't surprised that made the finals because every, <laughs> I even wrote this when I posted it on Facebook, pretty much every wedding I went to out of our friends played Hunger Strike. <laughs> it's like a tradition. <laughs> yeah. It, that, that, uh, was it a close vote? Um, no, really, well, released one by a few. But to, to the, the finals. Yeah. It wasn't a nail biter. Was it? No, it wasn't. They won by, I think it won by like three votes. Yeah. Out of how many? Not that many. <laughs> It was a selective niche bracket for only right. more knowledgeable. Um, even our uh, habitual voter who votes without knowledge was quiet on this one. I didn't see him too much. I think you know of whom. Oh. <laughs> No, there were some votes in there. Were there? <laughs> yeah. You, they were there? Oh. Yeah. And they they want that participation trophy, and by God, they'll get it. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, what's the next bracket? Then? Oh, we're going to do our podcast at the end of this month on The Carpenters and Barry Manilow. And that is going to get, like, all kinds of votes. I think it's hilarious that Pearl Jam got, like, such a low turnout. And Carpenters' Barry Manilow is going to be through the roof. You think so? I think that the Carpenters are and Barry Manilow are like poised on the edge of like a real renaissance. I was up in Milwaukee um, earlier in the week. It was Jag Bags night at um, Pfizer Forum. And uh, there's a there's a few theaters downtown. And one of them uh, was uh, the show was uh, it's a Carpenters Christmas. And I guess uh, really, yeah, a couple people performing as the Carpenters were just going to sing all Christmas carols. And the line was out the door, down the street. I couldn't believe it. One night wow. only. And uh, I think wow. it was, I know. I was uh, I was uh, surprised and and pleased. It was, uh, it was a wild night in Milwaukee. Wild night. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens because obviously Barry Manilow, when we were growing up, was not considered cool at all. Mm -hmm. So no. if you said you liked the Barry Manilow song, you'd probably get made fun of. Uh, no, probably. Unless you were full of inner fortitude like I was. <laughs> So I'm I'm curious. Yes. It'd be I mean because it's going to be only like 32 songs, so it'll be there each one of them 16 pretty big hits. So that might help because everybody should know the songs. I, I feel like early on in the Pearl Jam bracket, people didn't know the songs. I agree. Might have been part of it, so they kind of lost interest. It hit me probably hit me for a couple weeks. Yeah, they're like I don't want to see Lens posts for a couple weeks. So. <laughs> Love them or hate them, you know a lot of Carpenters and Barry Manilow songs. And they haven't exactly been overplayed in the last 15, 20 years with like one or two exceptions. So nobody's really- The only totally time I hear their songs on the radio is if I have 87.7 on the sponsors of Commodore's Earth, Wind & Fire. I'm sorry, Lionel Richie, Earth, Wind & Fire Night for Jag Bags Night. They're the ones who play it. I actually hear Carpenters more than Barry Manilow's song is rare at, but it really is Carpenters. I feel like I hear more on that station, like a few different ones. And now this time of year, you'll hear Merry Christmas, Darling, a lot. 
the Carpenters song. Right. That's a pretty popular one. Yeah. But Barry Manilow, he is a special on too. I just forgot about that. He's got some Christmas special on this week. Really? So who knows? Who knows? Maybe you're right. Uh, my Maybe parents, it'll be as much as the cereal bracket. My parents have his Christmas album, A Very Berry Christmas. And uh, um, I think it's, I think this pop, I think this uh, bracket is going to be very popular. I hope so. Oh, by the way. It's always fun when you get a lot of votes. I, I remember. It's, it's, I re- the cereal bracket came up in my Facebook memories and it was crazy how many people were that it was, was. not like people didn't even know me <laughs> branded me and, and said quisp <laughs> ultimate quisp yeah i remember uh when you did your bracket at, on uh words that best described len and the winner of course was fortitude uh i think lands <laughs> yeah well yeah. it was pretty obvious i it know you're disappointed by that one but it was uh, me no i was uh i was the clear uh i spirited that vote i think is that i don't know i, I heard you were saying cockball should be <laughs> but I, I, I could be mistaken i couldn't believe that got knocked out early that was i will submit <laughs> being surprised shocking upset yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think it lost to Shot Chucker, I think is what uh it's <laughs> Shot Chucker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> before let's go let's the hurt never stops. I know. Let's move on before things get out of hand here. Uh let's move on to happier topics and uh the uh NFL uh where the Chicago Bears absolutely laid the wood to the Detroit Lions and uh, uh defeated them in a fantastic and what could be a turning point for both Matt Eberflus um and Justin Fields. I mean, if Eberflus goes on to become a success in Chicago and I love saying his last name so much. I know. <laughs> Just love it. Uh, he may turn to the. He may point to this game as a real turning point because that's that's by far the that's by far the best win of the Eberflus era. I mean, yeah, I, they couldn't. That was this was when I said when I talked about it last week. I said they have to win this game to get it rolling. Right. And next week, next week's almost as tough because well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, the Lions game they had to have if they want to salvage their season at all. And like the parody we talk about every week, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. They'd have to win the rest of their games, but it's not impossible. There is a path. They're not playing. I don't think they're playing the Super Bowl champs because they're going to be the Super Bowl champs. Oh, oh, oh. the Cleveland Browns have something to say about that. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about the Browns. I mean, you didn't get to watch it, right? Because they don't show it locally. I really uh, are. Uh. Our friend of the podcast, uh, Val, shared her um, frustrations with CBS and how they aired the game. So, no, I didn't really get to watch very much of it at all. Like, they switched to it like six minutes left, but then they only showed like three minutes of it and then went right to the marquee game. Um, So, yeah. But um, but I did I was able to watch the highlights and, um, you know, I think the big I think Lawrence wasn't 100 percent. My brother-in-law was at the game. Mm-hmm. He said Lawrence didn't look as good as he, you know, I think because he, he uh, turned his ankle, hit a high ankle sprain. Yeah. And I think it, you know, Lawrence isn't exactly like a mobile quarterback, but he was uncharacteristic. Now the Browns defense at home is very, very good. The, the Browns got off to such an unbelievable defensive start this year. It's kind of hard to maintain it throughout the year. And so on the road, they have problems, but at home, that defense is still pretty tough. And were they at home yesterday? They were at home yesterday. Yeah. And the Bears game, they're at home against the Bears which yeah which i didn't like to see i was hoping it was here 
that is that is a point in the Browns' favor. Um, did you talk to your brother and my co-host on Matt Bags, Matt Byer? Have you, did you talk to him about yesterday? Uh, yes, I did talk to him uh, from your private jet as you were coming back <laughs> from the uh, NBA uh, in-season tournament with uh, your pals, uh, Tom Brady and uh, Joe Montana. I had... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, he said uh, he was not the game, um, but he was talking about how Flacco, an interesting stat about Flacco is that Flacco has completed more passes for 10 plus yards in two weeks than Watson, um, uh, PJ Walker, DTR, the rookie, and uh, Kobe Brissett combined. Yeah. That Flacco is just, he's a vertical guy. He's just going to. Yeah. I mean, that's what I always thought about him. He's, he likes going deep. And uh, so, and that opens it up. You know, that I think if the corner, if the, if the secondary is like, oh shit, this guy could like test me at any time, it's harder to defend the run. That was his point that it might make it might make things actually easier for the run game. The problem, so Flacco is definitely going to test the Bears secondary, but the Bears defense and I think national media is like, "Wow, all of a sudden the Bears the Bears have come alive the last two games." No. The Bears defense has been pretty good ever since the Bears defensive coordinator was mysteriously uh let go and Eberflus uh started assuming command of that defense. They've been they've been Yeah, back- I think he just he knows what he's doing and continue to get better so it could be a a low scoring affair uh but justin fields i predict is going to get a hero's welcome too because he is very popular it's i think it's so funny how um Whenever I talk to friends or family in Ohio, the first thing they say was, how's Justin Fields doing? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's very popular still. So he'll get some cheers, I predict. When All they- right. Here's my questions for you. And then I want to talk about the Bears a little bit. Yep. Do you know why Flacco wasn't playing anywhere? That's a great Why question. was he no longer in the NFL? Because he's playing pretty well. I that That is a great question. And I think there has been some performance issue. Was he throwing picks? Was I don't know. Right? Because last I remember, why was he available? Yeah, last I remember, he was with the Jets, mm-hmm. and and I don't think his numbers were all that great. Now that's not easy with the Jets um, to look good. And then uh, yeah, he you know they went with Zach Wilson over him, and then they the Jets let him go. And there was an article about him where he was like, "Yeah, I sent out my availability. I was like, I'm available." <laughs> Yeah. And they were like, oh, we'll get back to you. They they filed it ahead of you. So they had Flacco and then you put you uh flip the next file card and it said foot. So uh and I then- just need a good offensive line because if I get hit, I, I just die out there. <laughs> I would just I would just turn into dust. So I need a perfect offensive line. So I think I would turn to dust. They if- weren't sure they could guarantee I wouldn't get sacked at all. I think I would turn to dust if anyone got within six feet of me. Just I would die bright. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's that's what I always think about. You have these guys, huge guys, flying. It's not just that they're huge; they're coming at you fast. These are great athletes. Yep. It's just got to kill to get hit by one of these. Some of these guys. And that and they're screaming with like malintent. They're like trying to take your head off. Oh, yep. Couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It's got to be like a rush to do it in front of uh, you know eighty thousand people, and you hit on a big play, and play, everyone goes crazy. It's got to be a big adrenaline. You know, it's why it's so hard to find a good quarterback because you have to be good athlete. You have to have an arm. You have to you have to be tough, which is an underrated part of being a quarterback. Mm-hmm. As much as 
everybody goes, oh, they protect quarterbacks too much. You know why they protect the quarterbacks too much? Because nobody wants to see their third-string quarterback play. No, agreed. That's what I keep thinking. I'm always like, every week somebody good gets hurt and they're out for a long time. I'm like, we want to watch the best players. It's true. It's a dangerous sport. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I, I mean, I'm initially, because I, I still don't like when a guy gets called for roughing the passer and he's pretty much there. He just right. happens to take another step and hit the guy, but not maliciously, and they call roughing the passer. I don't really like that. But I get trying to protect the stars in the NFL because you don't, you don't, like I said, you don't want to watch Jacoby Brissett or, you know, you know what I'm talking about, some of these backup guys. You want to see the best players play against each other. Agreed. Agreed. And there can be some really good stories that come out of like a backup quarterback situation, uh, like a Brock Purdy. I mean, no one knew what that story is unbelievable. <laughs> The last pick in the draft. He may win MVP this year. But you don't know. You don't. I mean, it, I think that's the hard thing for scouts. Will this guy, will his skills translate to the NFL? Yeah. A lot of pe- people say Fields had huge talent. I mean, the his team had huge talent. Ohio State going up against a lot of these Big Ten teams, they probably just, they were just too much for him. Yep. So Fields could do what he wanted to do, unless he played maybe Michigan or mm-hmm. I don't know what yeah. other Big Ten teams is really good. But the bowl game. There's a disparity in talent that doesn't happen in the NFL because in the NFL, everybody's really talented. Right. I think that's been his biggest adjustment, I feel like. Um, now, uh, what was your, uh, what do the Bears have to do to win in Cleveland on Sunday? Protect Fields. That's what I'm worried about is that Miles Garrett just, how has he been playing? He's been, he's been getting a lot of sacks. He's been quiet. Oh, he's been quiet. He was quiet. Yes, he's hurt his shoulder and it may be affecting him more. I mean, sometimes, but they got to Lawrence, but it, they were able to pressure Lawrence, but Garrett wasn't doing it. It was the other guys. I think because they're just, they're so concerned about, or the Jaguars were so concerned about Garrett. But for the last two or three games, I think he's gotten like one sack. So he has been quiet. Do you have other pass rushers on the Browns? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, do you, do you have other pass rushers besides Garrett, though, that we have to worry about? No. Oh, no. It's, it's really? A, oh, it's a wall. What makes your defense so good besides Garrett, then? Secondary is really good. They have, they have yeah. excellent corners. Ward and Newsom, I think, are really good. And their linebackers are... Um, and the linebackers are good. Um, J-O-K, Jeremiah, oh, I'm not going to tr- try and pronounce his last name, but he's really good, especially uh-huh. in pass coverage too. And uh, and I think too, I've never seen a defensive player or a lineman that you just have to account for him at all times. Um, I mean, I've never seen a guy on the on the Browns like that, where you just have to know where he is and you have to have at least two guys blocking him at all times. Because one on one, there's not anyone who can block him one on one. Um, as far as like a pass rushing, um, I mean, like a guy like Dent. Dent was a guy who commanded a double team. He was an outstanding pass rusher. Um, but that the Bears line back then was just crazy because Hampton and McMichael. They also were great. got so much pressure up the middle. Yeah. And then you had, uh, just- and then you had Wilbur and Singletary and Wilbur Marshall coming in from the linebackers. It was a that was like a that wasn't just one great player. That was like five or six. Yeah, I'm, I, <laughs> that's, I, I was just, doing an immaculate grid the other day. Your new it was like Bears Redskins, and immediately Wilbur Marshall. Exactly. I was upset. We were all upset when we, Wilbur left us. Sometimes they like I don't understand why teams let guys go seemingly for no reason. And they they still have they, they still can play. 
and they just let them go. Is it for money reasons? I never understood why the Bears got rid of Wilbur Marshall. That's a yeah. rabbit that we can talk about. We'll do we'll do an entire podcast episode on Wilbur Marshall. Um, that's coming soon. <laughs> Going to demand it. Um, yeah. Anything else on the NFL? Should we talk about the controversial ending of the Chiefs game? <laughs> well, I want to say week, a couple more things about the Bears. About, oh, okay. Oh, back to the Bears. Yes. So, <laughs> the Sun Times. My favorite Chicago paper, but I've been complaining about them because they rip on fields, I think, too much. Right. And yesterday, uh, I thought he played decent. I didn't think he played great, but they were kind of raving about him in the paper today. But I thought he missed some passes. He he overthrew a couple people towards the end of the game. He missed it. I would, I'd say I count at least four passes he missed hmm. that were ones he should have completed. Yeah. So I didn't think he was great. I mean, his running ability, though, that's all. It's amazing how fast that guy is. Yeah. That touchdown he got, like he's, he, he goes right. And then I think once he realizes, I, I'm going to get this, he's just like a blur. He just takes his acceleration is amazing. It's <laughs> like, wow. Like he's in the end zone already. I mean, he's his talent is really just impressive. Yeah. But I was happy for him because in my head, I'm thinking, I want to keep him. I don't want to start over. I think I, not that Fields is a great quarterback. He's got to be consistent, but I think we could be a good enough team with him quartering. And of course, it helps if he stays healthy because I feel like when he, he he's in a lineup a lot, we have weapons for him now. He, he, he's got DJ Moore. DJ Moore had a, a big game again. Mm -hmm. And but <laughs> I keep thinking of other things, too. The other thing, not about fields, but they're talking about how well the Bears played. And I was watching it last night because I don't watch it live because I was out being an outstanding father. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> yes. the Lions had two really big errors. One was, OK, so they were mad because they thought Fields did intentional grounding on that one play, which I, I'm like, that wasn't really intentional grounding. He, he was falling down. There was a receiver in his line of sight and it hit off his lineman's leg. But it wasn't like he was threw it at the ground or he was. It did look like he was trying to pass it to a receiver. His lineman just happened to be in the way because the Lions coach got all mad about it. So then it's fourth and 13, which was a, that, that was the play of the game, obviously. Fourth and 13 against the Bears, and you let their best receiver go one-on-one -on -one deep. And and he just roasted the Lions corner on that. He was wide open. Yeah. Me and you, as long as we weren't afraid to <laughs> turn into powder, we would have completed that pass. Absolutely. Absolutely. We just, we just You and me would have stuck in there against the pass rush and completed that pass before being... <laughs> But it was just crazy, fourth and 13. And that was just a such a huge defensive mistake. And then the other thing was Goff fumbling that snap. And I guess their center, it was like first time he played or, or something like that. That was gigantic. If those two plays don't happen, I don't know if the Bears even win. Mm -hmm. But I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, the Bears dominated. Not really. Not really. The defense got it done in the fourth quarter, which they hadn't done in a while. Yeah, they but can. If I were to watch that game live, I would not have thought the Bears were going to win. Because hmm. in the first, the first half, they were playing pretty well, but they weren't. They weren't scoring as much as they should have. And then the Lions took the lead. And I'm like, oh, I would have been like, oh man. But yeah, it's, go it's good they came back. They shut. The, they won the fourth quarter, which they haven't been able to do. Agreed. Agreed. That was a big win. Very they big. have to beat the Browns. It's it's like beat the Browns. Then you're what are they then? Are they six and eight? Yeah, they'd be six and eight with Arizona and <laughs> um, playing better. 
Atlanta, two two winnable games. Yep. So they could be eight and eight going into the final to play the Packers. But what if the Packers and the Bears were both eight and eight going into that game, and the winner that, makes the playoffs? That's also <laughs> possible. It feels like the Packers have uh, figured a few figured a few things out as well. I don't. I don't think. I think the Packers have an easy schedule, though. I don't think that's going to happen. But it is possible that the Bears, if they do go off on a streak, it is possible they could be fighting with. I'm trying to think of the other. Team teams that are fighting for the playoff spot because right now would be who's the who would be the wild cards right now in the nfc because the lions are would win our division it's like lions 49ers um eagles also either the eagles or the cowboys would be a wild card right and nobody's going to catch them but who are the two other teams right now that would make it is it the packers and it's the uh it's the vikings and the rams um and the Seahawks are so. There's all these teams that are six and seven. There are, Wait, what's the the Packers are six and six though? What, what's the Vikings? Oh, the Vikings won yesterday. I forgot. They're seven and six. They're seven and six. And then you have all these teams that are six. Yeah, but the Vikings aren't. So, so name those teams. Uh, the Rams, the Seahawks, the Falcons, and the Saints are all six and seven. And the Packers are six and six, right? Yeah, and they're playing right now. So who are the two right now, though, that would make it with with the Eagles or the Cowboys? What two wildcard teams would make it? It would be the Packers at seven and the Rams at eight. Really, the Rams? And the Rams are under 500, right? The Rams are six and seven, but they... So the Bears are not in bad shape. The Bears had just have to keep winning. And they didn't put them on the in the hunt last night. <laughs> the Athletic... So I'm a little mad. The Athletic referred to them uh, this I'm morning. a little mad. The Athletic referred to them this morning as the lowly bears and uh, was they were excoriated in the comments for that uh, adjective. They're not. Yeah, that just means they haven't been watching the Bears play. That's right. Because like what you said, the defense has been good for a few weeks. If you've been paying attention, you know I mean, they, they, had a, they had a tough loss to the Lions, but that they played well until the fourth quarter. They blew that game in the last four minutes. And the Vikings game, I can't say they played great, but they, they did get the win. And the they, Vikings might make the playoffs somehow. They've so. never looked terrible. The Bears yeah. defense never looked terrible. So the Atlanta game is even bigger because Atlanta might be, if they could beat Atlanta, man, this is, <laughs> it's better than I thought because I'm like, well, the only way they could get in is to win the rest of their games. But conceivably, one of those teams could make it and then only have eight wins. They could be eight and nine. There's a, especially if the Packers lose tonight. Then you've got one, two, three, four, five, six teams, all with six and seven. Right yeah, now. so the Bears are one game behind only. Bears are a game back. Yeah, That's I don't it. think the Packers are going to lose to the Giants, though. It is right now seven to seven at halftime. Wow, that'd be great if the Giants won. And one last thing I know I'm talking to. Well, yeah, we got to talk about the Chiefs a tiny bit. One last thing, so... <laughs> Since I'm an idiot and have Bears, Bears fever, I was typing in, there's like some thing online where you could type in their percentage of making the playoffs if each game they win. Yeah. So even if they win next week, it's like only 20%. And then I went all the way to the end. Let's say they win all of them and their chance was like 50 something percent. And that's if they win all of them. Yeah. So even if they win the rest of their games, it's like a coin flip for them. <laughs> <laughs> they still need help for sure. Yeah. It'd be great if they, all these teams just kept losing, just, just, just split pretty much. If these teams, which are, who are average teams, like the bears are, cause I consider the bears an average team. Now they're bad at the beginning of the year, but now I feel like they're average. They're playing better. So these average teams that are all bunched up with six wins, if they just go 
two and two and the bears can either win out or only lose to the Browns. Who knows? Yeah. It's uh it's one of these years where every, I mean, the AFC is even crazier uh, as far as like teams in the playoff hunt. It's but the, aren't the, what's the Browns record. Seven and five, eight and five. So they're in good shape. I figure two more wins. That'll put them at 10. Uh, 11 would do it would seal the deal what's the bunch up in the afc you've got this all seven and six teams and uh, how many seven and six teams are there one two three four five six six wow at seven who are those you've got the steelers the colts the texans the broncos the bengals and now buffalo buffalo now has a pulse yeah buffalo is the most talented team out of those and yep. Denver's played pretty well. Denver's probably the second best team out of all those. Right. The rest of those teams, I don't think I don't even think they're good. The Bengals. It's amazing the Steelers have as many wins as they do. It is amazing, and they got and the Colts. I don't think the Colts are good, and the Bengals somehow won yesterday. But maybe their their backup quarterbacks better than you think. This guy Browning's getting great stats. So I'm like, yeah. what? The, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, all right, real quick, the Chiefs. <laughs> I didn't finish watching their game. I DVR'd it. I'm going to watch it. I'll probably finish watching it tomorrow. That was a penalty. They should quit complaining about it. The guy was obviously offsides. Yeah. And what one of the announcers said, they've called that penalty like 10 times this year. It's not like I, they didn't used to call it, but they has been called. So it, it's not like out of nowhere they called this offsides on them. Right. And I think Mahomes, Andy Reid, it's just frustration because this is they won a Super Bowl last year. Right. And they're just frustrated because they're not playing well. And I was talking to Brian about this. They're not a Super Bowl. They're not a championship team. I watched them pretty much every week and I know they're not going to win this year. They seem to have so, too many. I mean, cause, cause last year it was, I was surprised they won the Super Bowl last year, to be honest. Yeah. So I think Mahomes and Reed, they just think no matter what, we're going to win, which is kind of how you should be. Sure. I mean, the Patriots were always like, cause the Patriots sometimes had, you're like, how are they winning? They, they, their secondary would be these guys that got off the waiver wire all the time and all this and started playing well for them. It's just not there. Just not there for them this year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But the other, but the thing for them, because after the way they've been playing lately, I'm like, oh man, they're really struggling. But I look at their schedule and they have a super easy schedule. So they'll probably still get 11 wins. The Chiefs? Yeah, because they're not playing anybody good. I don't know how that worked out considering they won the Super Bowl this year, but their schedule lines up nicely for them to end the season confident and with a bunch of wins. And they might, maybe they won't get home field advantage for every game, but they'll probably still be in pretty good shape to start. Yeah, they might be. Um, especially with all these other teams all bunched up as they are. So, um, you know, yeah. just other if the Chiefs uh, even like get one bye week, that will help them as well. All right. Anything else on the NFL? Nope. We got heated though. Talked a lot. We did. Let's We're talk. Fired about- up. We are fired up. Speaking of fired up, okay. What do you make of the Chicago Bulls' recent uh, win streak? Um, it's been nice. Also, no Zach Levine, right? And Kobe White, like I always say, he plays way better when Zach Levine's not in the game. But this week will tell you if it meant anything. Because they play the Bucks, the Nuggets, and the Heat twice. Yeah. They so are. I might lose all four of those, and then it doesn't mean anything. Because what's I think their record, what, they're like 9-14? and 14. Right. Let's say they win a couple games this week. If they Let's say they beat the Heat once and the Bucks, or they they win two out of four, then I'll be like, okay, maybe we're better. Maybe we're better. But they could get wiped out this week. And all that confidence that they've been playing with might go away. The, I mean, Patrick Williams is playing well, too. 
Yeah, he's like, he's starting to live up to, White and Williams are both living up to uh, their potential. The Bulls are down two to the Bucks going into the fourth quarter. So in Milwaukee. So uh, they're they're competing. So that's good. I mean, they, they had that crazy win against the Bucks last time. That was unbelievable. So, well, uh, they have to give Drummond faulty directions to the United Center and the team plane and uh, <laughs> to... to uh, and continue to tell Levine to, uh, you know, slip some Mickey's into his, uh, protein shakes to, uh, keep him groggy and, uh, unable to perform. And the, they could, then I think they're a game out of, uh, the play in tournament. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't think that was even a possibility yet. Yeah. They are. Yeah. They're one game out behind Atlanta. But they're obviously more fun to watch right now. And Atlanta is almost certainly going to lose to Denver tonight. And um, so if what's Atlanta's record? They're they're nine and 12. Oh, yeah, they, they must have been slumping. I think they were playing better at the beginning of the year. Yeah, they've lost three in a row and they almost certainly to be four unless they mount a miracle comeback. Yeah, they gotta um they gotta say goodbye to the Troy uh Trey Young era. I think they really do. He's not gonna get you there. Uh and a guy like that, you have to trade him. He's not gonna accept a lesser role. No. Um, you've gotta you've gotta pair him up with a with a guy of equal stature for, for him to work. In other words, he's gotta go to like situation like Damian Lillard went to, where he's mm-hmm. paired up with a stud guy. Yeah. And uh because his defense is just too you can you can go one on one against him and it's it's easy. Yeah. And and he's just not he's not consistent enough shooting wise either. Agreed. Yeah. He's not a superstar. He thinks he is. Right. He'll be forever looped. He'll be forever linked with my nemesis, Luka Doncic, because uh, they traded Atlanta traded uh, with Dallas. They could have had Luka and they or they traded up so that they could draft Trey Young ahead of Luka. I believe Trey went first and uh, that decision may haunt them. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that's how that draft. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Cavs lost tonight to Orlando, but that was to be expected. They didn't have Levert or Mobley, and um, and uh, they were in Orlando. And Orlando was at full strength, so uh, they fought. Yeah, and Orlando's good this year. And Orlando is good. Um, I they, think or does Orlando have? They might have like the second or third best record in the East, right? Second best, second best ahead of. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, they are. Uh, only the Celtics have a better record. If Milwaukee wins, if Milwaukee beats the Bulls, then they'll actually be tied with Philly one a half game back. But yeah, um, they're a surprise team, and they look to be for real for sure. Um, so but yeah, it'll the, be fun watching a different team in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Pacers are good too. Um, the, the Halliburton's playing really well. And uh, so, yeah, he's been, he's, he's just like MVP candidate. Like he's playing. He's been outstanding, really outstanding. Um, and then you've got uh, Brooklyn that is in the thick of it as well. Um, yeah, they've been playing better. Bridges has been playing really well for them. Yeah. So uh, a lot of teams fighting for those, uh, you know, to be behind the, those big four of Boston, Orlando, Milwaukee, and, and Philly. So uh, should be a fun, should be a fun year. It's crazy that Orlando's got a better record than a 76ers and the Bucks because the 76ers actually like are winning all the time. Yeah. That's how well Orlando's playing. Yeah. They, they are for real. They're for Banchero is for, they got a nice team, all young guys and uh, they're playing real well. And I think that coach is really good. Mosley. Um, yeah. Since he took over, they seem to really have be gelling. Um, anything else on the NBA? No, I'll be curious what we say next week. After yeah. this four game stretch for the what's what's the cancer record right now? 
Uh, with the loss tonight, they are 13 and 10. So they've been playing well. They beat they beat Orlando at home. So that was a great win. And then that's a, yeah, it's a real good win. And then they followed it up with another uh, great win in Miami over Miami. And they didn't have Levert or Mobley for that and won pretty convincingly. So, nice. So that was another great win. So uh, it might have caught up caught up with them tonight. I mean, they didn't shoot the ball very well at all. Mitchell was not good, but Garland was terrific. He had 36 points, eight assists. Heck of a game. That's good. He's got a. He still has too many turnovers. Drives me nuts. Um, but um, the the Cavs play better when Garland is. This was kind of a rare game where I thought Garland had a fantastic game and they lost. Only three turnovers. So, but. Mitchell was not good tonight. Six of 18. That's why they lost. Um, can't shoot 33%. Have your big guy taking 18 shots, only making six. There was a game. I think it was a college game. I think one of the teams went two for 23 on threes. It's like, wow. That's, that's a horrible point. shooting. It just happens sometimes. I mean, you're bound to when you're shooting from that far away. How could it not? Um, yeah. Well, then we could segue into college hoops. Right, your pal. Not much happening Northwestern wise. They they just had one easy game, right? Yeah, they beat Detroit Mercy. Um, Went one all year, like zero and nine. So. And Boo Booey basically took the game off. I mean, bad game. I feel it like didn't matter that that would have been malpractice for Collins to play Boo Booey in this game. Only only a bad thing can happen. Uh, well, he played. He just didn't play well. Yeah, um, he should not have played much, if at all, and they still could have won. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like now the college, even with some good games happening, this is almost like their preseason. Like it doesn't really kick in till January when all the conference games are going on. Well, I thought Illinois looked pretty good against Florida Atlantic. Um, yeah, they played. They played. They've had some. Yeah, they've had some tough opponents already because they played Marquette. Florida Atlantic, which was, they played really well. Great win. And then Tennessee. Did you watch the Tennessee game? I didn't see it. No, I didn't. I followed it, but I didn't watch the game. Tennessee's good. No, no disgrace. Yeah. There. And a line I just didn't, weren't hitting the guy. I forgot his name. The guy who played great against Florida Atlantic. Don't yeah. back his name. Yeah. The white guy. I can't remember his name. Yeah. He couldn't, he didn't make anything. He was unbelievable. Hawkins couldn't make anything hot. I think uh, Shannon was like five or 16. So just, they just did not have anything going for them. Hawkins was too. They big. stayed in it, which is a good sign, I guess, because it wasn't a blowout despite them shooting poorly. So that means their rebounding and defense must've been good. Right. Hawkins was uh, too busy telling everyone how his favorite Elton John album is Piano Man. And uh, people were uh, telling him. Hawkins, that. that's Billy Joel. Uh, Hawkins like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. The same instrument. I, I, I'm close. Hawkins should not be allowed to give do, me. Do better, Hawkins. <laughs> and Brad Underwood, of course, uh, was just going through his CDs and trying to alphabetize them um, instead of paying attention to what was happening on the floor. Get focused, Brad. You know what's funny about Underwood this year? I think it was last year at this time where he was yelling about leadership. You were, and you were reading him the riot act. Yeah, but this year after the Tennessee game, he said, "You know what? We're really good." <laughs> so he's taking a different approach. Uh, and I do have, I do have a, I like how they play. I do want Hawkins to play better. He's my early season whipping boy because he's got to, he's got to be smarter with the ball. And they, they run stuff through him sometimes, but I want him to throw a normal pass because sometimes he tries to to get it through too many people. Right. So he needs to, he can't do that in March. He's just got to make the right play. That's what I'm worried about with that team because I like everybody else. I like Luke Goody off the bench. He's a really 
really good shooter. The one, the other thing that Underwood's doing, it's odd, I think, is Danger as their big guy, who I thought was pretty decent last year. He doesn't play him very much. He has him coming off the bench. I don't know if it if that was because of matchups or uh, I feel like he should be playing more. Hmm. But we'll stay on top of it. We'll I'll, see if I have more to say to Brad Underwood, who is getting another CD today. It's, I like that you more about that shortly. I like that you text these guys all day, Nicholson, uh, Hawkins, and Underwood. Uh, <laughs> you're constantly in their ear, so we'll see if they listen to your to your wise ways. I hope so. Um, anything else on college hoops? Uh, no, that's it. Uh, let's move to I recommend. Um, do you want to go first, or do you want me to? Uh, yeah, you go first. Then I'll do mine, and then we'll have this amazing ceremony. If <laughs> this will be an, <laughs> this will be quite a historic occasion. Uh, we should have had a party. We will. We'll have a uh, at the appropriate time. We'll have a. Uh, we'll invite all the Rolling Stone panels uh, panel members over for my, and I will where I will personally grade and hand each uh, panel member their letter grade at the end um, to. Uh, Tell them what I thought of their of their individual votes, but uh, but first things first. Um, let's do. I recommend and uh, I recommend a um, my I recommend is a um, <clears throat> article, a news article that I put onto the Jagbags Facebook page. And if you uh, go to Jagbag's page, you'll see it. It was an article that was uh, written in guitar.com. And it was an interview with the music producer, Andrew Watt, who produced um, the new Rolling Stone album, Hackney Diamonds. And the interview was him talking about McCartney coming into the studios to play bass for one track on the Stones album called Bite My Head Off. And just if you are a fan of either band, what a moment that must have been um, to have. And I, I just what I liked about the article was how he first of all, two things really stood out to me. One, they were trying to figure out what song to have him on guest on. And they said, well, he's, you know, he's written some of the greatest ballads of all time. So maybe a ballad might be, might work best. But then the producer said, no, at heart, McCartney is a rocker. He loves to rock out. He loves to get a bass, turn it up as loud as it will go and just jam. And it's appropriate that when he plays with the Rolling Stones, he's going to like go balls out. So they picked the fastest, most rocking tune on the album. And, uh, and he said that he picked out, I love how McCartney plays these like, you know, 50, 60 year old bass guitars that are like, of course, probably cost a gajillion dollars to <laughs> model and retune. It's always Hofner. He's always playing a Hofner bass and it's left-handed. So they got to do that too. And they made it sound really kind of distorted and, and, and old with, with as loud a song as possible. Um, so, but he said that, that, uh, the stones are sitting in the studio. They're all sitting down. Of course, they're working on various things. And then the door opens and in comes McCartney himself and all the stones, Mick, Keith, Ron Wood, they all, they all stood up. They stood up. And, uh, and what a moment that must've been. And, uh, and you know, Mick's making fun of him. He's talking with a Liverpool accent. So you're, oh, you're going to play with the ball. And uh, and uh, just to be in that room, I mean, I I hope someone took a video because what a great I don't know for any Beatle or Stones lover, what a video that 
must have been. Maybe they'll release it at some point. But uh, what I wouldn't have given to see that that live performance. And they did like they played like three or four songs, so they were having such a good time. Um, anyway, it's on our Jag Bags Facebook page. So if you're a fan of the Beatles and the Stones, and we have talked about both bands quite a bit on our podcast. So if you're a fan, go check that that article. I really liked it. It's on our page and it's guitar.com. Okay. I have three I recommends. Oh, Johnny Overachieve. My <laughs> My first one, I think you had as I recommend months ago, and that is Oppenheimer. Yeah. Right? So you saw it. Loved it. Yeah. I I just, I can't believe how much I liked it. Yeah. It's three hours long, but to me, it's one of the critics, I, I read a review of it where the critics was complaining that it was too propulsive. What does that I'm mean? I'm like, what does that mean? It, I was like, does that mean it, it's paced so well? That it doesn't seem like it's three hours because that's what it sounds like. I need to. And that's what it felt like to me. What that's one of the things. One of the great accomplishments of it is there's such urgency to the whole movie. Yep. And it's three hours long, so it doesn't feel slow to me at all. The acting is great. Right. There's a lot of issues to tackle. I mean, in your own head, either too about this historical this time in history. Yep. I didn't even realize it was Robert Downey Jr. until like a quarter away. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, he's terrific. He was secretly in disguise. <laughs> and here, and he's great in it. Very good. And also, they have like these really good actors and super small parts. Yeah, all throughout. Rami Malek, who won an Oscar, he's in it for like he's in it for like five minutes. Yeah, every part is filled with a really good actor. Gary Oldman. And we'll talk more about Oppenheimer because we're going to do a whole Christopher Nolan podcast. And I'm sure Oppenheimer is going to get nominated for a bunch of Oscars. And we always do an Oscars preview. So we'll talk more about it then. No doubt. My second I recommend, I'm actually a little bit behind on this show. It's uh, This Week with John Oliver. Mm. And I want to talk about a specific episode. And it's about dollar stores. And John Oliver, he, he's always like saying, oh, we're a comedy show. But there's times where it doesn't feel like a comedy show. No. Because they get real serious about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Where you're almost like, okay, they're they're teaching me things, which is fine. Sure. But this episode, even though they were telling you about how bad dollar store and family dollar is and like rats in the stock room and understaffed and they get robbed a lot and all these other things. But there was so much funny stuff in the episode that it was probably the hardest I laughed at a John Oliver episode in a long time. So I just that's why I wanted to point that one out. I always like the show, but this one was particularly funny. Yeah, I think they ended it, too, because. He got everybody to vote for a certain bird for New Zealand's bird of the century. <laughs> so that was the very end of it. That they had succeeded at doing that. <laughs> and then my third I recommend, this was this is actually a magazine. It's the New Yorker from like three weeks ago now, I think, maybe, or maybe two weeks ago. The November twenty-seventh issue. They called it like their personal history issue. Hmm. So Zadie Smith, my good friend who I met. <laughs> she talks about falling out of her window when she was a teenager. There's a great article on Joyce Carol Oates. Now, Joyce Carol Oates, I have, <laughs> this is almost embarrassing to say, I think I have six of her books. I haven't read any of them. I want to read them, but you know how it is. I'm always getting books. Yep. But even if you've never read anything by her, it's a really fascinating article on her. 
about what matters to her as a writer and about her life. It was great. It was it was just riveting, just uh-huh. about the creative process and her relationships. Just a really, I think anybody, like I said, it doesn't matter if you're even familiar with her. I think if you're interested in like the creative process of a writer and how it affects her relationships, you would really enjoy reading that. And then there's another article about a man who, when he was three years old, his dad got killed in front of him. It was him and his sister, but his sister was like 12. There's like a big age difference between him and his sister and his mom was there too. And it's about how that experience is so different for him because he's so little, he barely remembers it and how it affects his relationship with his sister. And another just totally engrossing article. And then one other thing they had in there was another personal history thing, but it was a book review because Barbara Streisand has this new book out, which is it's like a thousand pages and it's like, <laughs> it's like 40 something dollars. But the review almost made me want to read it. I mean, I like Barbara Streisand a little bit. I'm not like a big Streisand fan, but I like a few of her songs and I like some of the movies she's been in. But it kind of talked about how badly she wanted to be a star and almost how she felt like it was going to happen no matter what. Oh, wow. And there's like a story about like she was having some bet with her friend. Like, I bet you this guy is going to step off the curb and felt like she felt like she could will it to happen. And then it did happen. (laughs) And that like gave her confidence just little things like that. Just dictate. I'm like, this, this might be a good book. I'll probably never read it because it's like a thousand pages. But if you're a Barbara Streisand fan, it sounds like it sounds very, very interesting. Hmm. So there you go. Those are my three I recommends. And uh, who wrote the book? The the Barbara Streisand book? Yeah. She did. She wrote it by herself. Oh, it's her own auto. Oh, it's her own autobiography. Yeah, it was a review in the New Yorker about it. Yeah, she wrote it. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, that's That could be a good uh, thousand pages, though. That could be a good, uh, I was thinking a good Christmas present for my mom, but thousand pages, whoa. Yeah, but, you know, John Irving book was a thousand. We got through it. This is true. This is true. Um, all right. Well, those are good. Uh, I recommends all the way around. Uh, should we move on to, uh, the end of an era? Drum rolling. Oh man. Amazing. I don't even know. I don't know what to do. I'm taking it back. I forgot this was, this is the week all over. I've underplayed it just because I don't want to admit that, uh, this is the end, but this is the end. And, uh, yes, this will be the last time you pull out that now aged Rolling Stone, uh, which is now the paper is yellow. There's a lot of coffee stains on it. Tears from Len when, uh, <laughs> I only did one or two reviews at a time and we were stuck on, uh, number 376 for what seemed like a month. Um, but here we are. Uh, we are at number five. We're going to go five, four, three, two, one. Uh, and, and as usual, I am not really, but you know what? I think like, I'm not a fan of most of these choices. Um, but I think that, um, but I think you could put so at this point, you know, you could put any albums in. I think it's a matter of personal taste. Um, but let's get to them. Number five is The Beatles, Abbey Road. So according to Rolling Stone magazine, the best Beatles album ever made is Abbey Road. And I just, you know, I, I know it's hard to pick a best album. And um, we've talked about what their best album is, you know, so many times. And there are times where I think, oh, maybe Abbey Road is their best album. But I don't know. I don't feel it this week. I think number five is just, it seems too high. I feel like Sgt. Pepper maybe should be penalized, but not by that much. In Abbey Road, I think Abbey Road was at like number, I think in, I can remember the last 
vote. I don't think it was this high. And um, it was certainly inventive because they put all those, you know, that song cycle that is. That, that's to me is the genius of every road is that I call it almost call it the McCartney suite because it's so much McCartney just goes, you know, kind of just it's through. amazing. I love it. It is a it is a, a, a singular achievement. And um, and it really hasn't been tried. I can't think of another album that kind of has anything like that ever. Um, yeah. Where it's an entire half, one half of the album. Um, yeah. And it's not like a progressive rock album where they kind of do that. Mm-hmm. But all those songs, there'll be like a bunch of 10 minute songs. These are short songs. Yep. They're all connected. All really good. Yep. It's just a great achievement. And it's also got George Harrison's arguably his two best songs. Um, Here Comes the Sun and something. Um, You could argue that those two are his best contributions, not only to the Beatles, but just the best things he's ever done in his career. And I I could see the argument. Um, Unless you talk to Frank Sinatra, who thought Lennon McCartney, he did something. That's how good it was. That's how it was. It was a song that was kind of uh, that you could, uh, you know, it was like it was his master class and he passed it um, and put two songs that will stand as like all time great Beatles songs. Not one, but two. So I think I just talked myself into agreeing with uh, Abbey Road at number five. Um, Although I think. But your favorite is Hard Day's Night, right? That's my favorite. And you listen to the Beatles. I think it's our second ever pod. Um, I still stand by that because, and for those of you who haven't listened to that one, my favorite is Hard Day's Night because it's the blueprint. It's sort of like, this is what we're about. This is our the emotion we're going for. This is the basic kind of like musical kind of uh, vibe or tone that we, we go for. And everything that followed kind of took that and then played with it, you know, did things, whether maybe they made it more acoustic or they made it psychedelic or they expanded it and made it kind of disjointed. Or like in the case of Abbey Road, they, you know, they broke it, they broke it up into little pieces, but they never truly deviated. I don't think from that. That's why I think it's their best. Um, But I, I, I've got no, I've got no truck with Abbey Road at number five. I really don't. Um, the next three, I don't agree with, um, number four is Stevie wonder songs in the key of life. Um, you are mistaken. I am correct. I love this album. I think it's too long. I think that he had earned the right to do whatever he wanted and have nobody tell him no. Um, and, uh, I think that a lot of these songs, I think if, if this was a single album and he cut down the song lengths from like seven or eight minutes, like as Let's 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 talk about as or ordinary pain. Those are two amazing songs. Amazing. Uh that just cut them down to like three, four minutes and they are winners. No. I know music. Uh as it stands, uh intervisions is Len just walked away from me as I am making this argument. I'm truly offended. Well, the discerning diamond listeners know good music. Um I argue that Intervisions and Talking Book are both better than Songs in the Key of Life. No, no. And I will hear the case for ful- fulfilling this first finale as better than no, Songs. They're all great albums. They're all great albums. He was they're amazing. All, in the they're, all great al- they're all great albums. This is too high. No way. I am. Uh, These are all great songs. I'm looking at the track list. I don't know what you're talking about. They're great. They're too long. Isn't she lovely? That's way too long. It's way too long. It's too long for your dark heart, I guess. 
I know you don't like babies. So <laughs> yeah, that makes sense for you. Okay. I get it now. <laughs> I know it's, <laughs> I know it's uh, tough to be confronted with the truth. Oh, okay. But I, uh, I live. How could you not love an album that has Sir Duke and I wish on it? Now those are. That might be his two best songs. Yeah. Because they're normal length. So like four minutes long. So, uh, yeah, we don't need six, seven, eight. Uh, so it's your attention span is what we're talking about here, <laughs> which is what it all boils down to. Yes. I guess I get bored easily in, uh, uh, because I'm, I'm busy watching YouTube. <laughs> I rate my albums by how much I end up doodling while I'm listening to them. And these were a lot of doodles, Len. At least I stayed awake. I did not give it the Denzel. <laughs> Um, no, I would have, if, if they put talking book or inner visions, uh, in this place, then I, I would, I would agree, uh, completely. Uh, number three, Joni Mitchell blue. Um, this is a great album. Do you think it's the third best album of all time? I don't even think I like this album. I like the, I can think I of, like, cause we talked about Joni Mitchell because there were so many on this list Yeah, and I ended up going, you know what? I do like a lot of Joni Mitchell now because doing more of a deep dive on there, but blue out of all her albums. No, for sure. No, I agree. I think they, I think they wanted to give her, you know, a top fives just because of her influence and her unusual songwriting. And the fact that what I like about Joni Mitchell is that her albums are like, uh, each album, like I've listened to, like I get into it, like they reward a lot of listening where you're just like, okay, there's so much going on here. And the more I listen to it, the more I like it to the point where I'm like, this is a great album. This is great. And I never got that with Blue. Um, maybe I need to listen more. Um, I know, but I will say she is super influential. And when you hear people talk about her, like everybody, there's no any one, musician, they just rave about her. So Correct. Um, it's not surprising that, that it's up there that high. There's a great great um uh documentary called laurel canyon i can't remember if i talked about that on the pod if that was an i recommend i think you did and it's the i looked it up too it's the same documentary maker that made the go-go's documentary and that san francisco sounds that i just talked about yeah mm -hmm. but in this laurel canyon allison elwood and they talk about Joni mitchell in this laurel canyon and how uh when eric clapton was introduced to her she was playing the guitar and he sat down and studied her because he just couldn't believe that anyone played the guitar with, with just in that fashion he just he was completely mesmerized by it which i didn't realize that she was such a distinctive guitar player as well as a songwriter and singer uh, so i i i i think that i think it's great that she is uh ranked this high and um but i would have like like with stevie wonder i've picked a different album um, number two, this is an album that was so underrated. It's now become completely overrated. And that is the Beach Boys Pet Sound. Uh, we talked about this album on our Beach Boys podcast. And for a long time, it was, oh, the Beach Boys. Yeah, they're top 40 and I'm really sick of their songs. You should listen to Pet Sounds. That's actually really good. And um, and a lot of people, uh, I think, were drawn to that just because I think Rolling Stone and every music critic said, actually, Pet Sounds is really underrated to the point where the hype machine kicked in and then you have um, a remastered CD and then, you know, the, all the, uh, pet sound sessions came out, which is like six CDs where you could listen to outtakes of, uh, this, um, album and how, uh, this album made the Beatles stand up and be like, Whoa, you can make the studio sound like that. Well, you know, we, we thought we were doing great with revolver, but Whoa, now we, we got to really, uh, beat him with Sergeant Pepper. 
Um, and while all of that's true, and while Pet Sounds is great, it is not the second greatest album of all time. No way. Just it's not. Um, I, I I don't think it's better than uh, a lot of the Beatles albums that we've talked about uh, earlier. Um, I think that it is a solid top 30 album of all time, maybe even 40. Um, and, uh, the songs stay with you. They're very dreamy. They're very, um, they're very low tempo or, um, they, you know, they, they just kind of crawl. So there's, it's not really that beach boy sound that you associate with them. And, uh, again, I love it. No way. Is it number two? Way too high, way too high. And I know your feelings about pet sounds, but I'm looking at it again. Mm. Part of the reason I think it's so beloved is I read a lot of people who think God only knows is like the best song ever. And that's my favorite Beatle, uh, Beach Boy song. Mm-hmm. So I have no problem with that. It's a great song. Yep. Wouldn't It Be Nice is a great song. Agreed. I like Sloop John B. and Caroline No, but the rest of it, I've tried. Yeah. Like I said, we've talked about this before, but I've tried. It just doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't get there for me. It's not, you know, we've talked about other albums and sometimes I prefer Today, the Beach Boys Today, which was the album previous to uh, pet sounds, uh, smile, I think had it come out, had it come out when it was supposed to would have, I think it'd have been unusual. And I think a lot of people would have really liked it. It was just like a piece of psychedelia and who knows, uh, you know, how their career would have gone. You just can't, you know, they, instead they just kind of spiraled into madness, um, and, uh, drug use and just kind of, you know, put out subpar music or music that wasn't as good. Some of their 70s stuff is as good, but never as good as Pet Sounds. Um, you know what I'm looking at? It's interesting. So Pet Sounds first came out, hit number 10, right? Right. And then six years later, it was back on the charts, like top 50. Right. And then they released it again in 1990 and it charted. So it's one that just keeps, always keeps coming back, I guess. It's an unusual album in that respect. I think if I'm not mistaken, they re-released it. I think a lot of Beach Boys albums uh, kind of got a resurgence when they put out their greatest hits album, Endless Summer, which sold gajillions of copies and kind of made people think, oh, if you put together a greatest hits tour and also the oldies tour, you can make a shit ton of money uh, <laughs> and uh, and also goose uh, your previous album sales. And then, yeah, with all the critics... And they toured a lot. I mean, I feel like the Beach Boys have toured forever. All the time. With different like- people, though. Not, and obviously not the original lineup, but at least a few of the originals. Oh, yeah. And just forever. 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 Um, yeah. Um, they're very... Uh, I mean, they're now... They're, they're kind of part of uh, America because I can't... I mean, pretty much everyone our age and older has probably seen the Beach Boys in concert, un- unwillingly or not. Um, uh, and then the number one album of all time, and I do agree, I've got no problem with Marvin Gaye's uh, What's Going On as the greatest album ever made. No problem with this whatsoever. It's an incredible, incredible record. Um, it's got it's got the big hits. You've got... Um, uh, of course, the title track, and then "Mercy, Mercy Me," and uh, um, and then you've got uh, "Inner City Blues," make me want to holler. So those are the three big all hits. Great. All great. And they're songs. all great too. Yep. And what's great about it too is that it kind of it's a you know we talked about Abbey Road and their song cycle. I mean, what's going on has a little bit of that, just a little bit. They kind of they'll recall earlier songs in later songs. They'll um, it kind of flows one beat to the next and um, it kind of keeps the same beat as, as the melodies sort of change. And uh, it is, I mean, from a socially conscious 
standpoint. The lyrics are unsettling. Sadly, they are timeless. Um, well, hopefully not going to be timeless, but yeah, as of right now, they're depressingly so. Um, and, uh, and then also it sort of like marked a departure for him as well. He wasn't going to sing those love songs, those, those Motown, you know, you know, optimistic, you know, boy meets girl or boy breaks up with girl, um, kind of songs anymore. He was, he and Stevie wonder were going to do their own thing in their own way. And, and they'd earned that right because they wrote the songs and they, um, produced them and, but had no creative control. And so that kind of marked a departure from that as well. So, and its influence is continues to this day. So I think it checks off all the boxes. I I'm very happy that it was uh, the number one album. Uh, of course, the real number out album, as we all know, should be Men at Work's Business as Usual. Uh, but that's for next week's podcast. Um, we have a plan for next week, but you don't want to tell us? This is the plan. The plan is I'm going to go over a few albums that I think should have been on. And okay. uh, and I'm only going to do five uh, uh-huh. where I'm just going to go over them and like, I can't believe this wasn't on for various yeah. reasons. And I'll do that next week. Okay. How does it feel? Feel like the weight of the world is... <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking about proposing we run it back and go back to 500, but uh, I'll come up with a new idea to replace this longstanding beloved uh, podcasting tradition. There are diamond listeners weeping openly, just so you know. I've won several awards. I've gotten congratulatory telegrams from all over the world. Uh, Meryl Streep is not pictured here, but she is uh, sitting next to me. High five, ready to go. All ready to go at the break. Yeah, I got a call from the United Center that said, some guy named Alex delivered a congratulations beef cake here. <laughs> and I told them we don't we're not having an event. I don't know why it went there. So you have a giant cake waiting for you at the United Center. I said you'd pick it up tonight. Thanks, Alex. I'm gonna go. Hope they're open still. Um, yeah, they'll they'll stay open for me, right? Uh, I don't know about that, but good luck. Thank you. Uh, I've heard from people from Barack Obama to um, uh, Chris Chelios to um, Andy Avalos to Sean Penn, Matthew Nicholson. Uh, I. I appreciate all the nice messages. You got a fax from Regency that said, finally. I did. I'm surprised he learned how to work the fax machine, given that he (laughs) normally communicates with me by carrier pigeon or Chicago messenger, uh, bike messenger service. But thank you, Regency, for the fax and everyone uh, for their support. Um, And uh, next week, again, five albums I think should have made it and did. So that is my segment. I feel like we should just end now, but got to do mine. Do mine. Oh, this will be just, we should have saved this for last. I should have thought this out better. Be, I apologize. Oh, this historic event. <laughs> it should have, we should have switched, switched it up and had you finish the podcast. Today. I apologize. All good. All good. I was too busy watching <laughs> the postman to do anything else today. <laughs> I get it. I get it. The postman dominates our thoughts and uh, stay tuned for our podcast episode where we cover that movie as well as the movie, the doors uh, that's coming uh, next week. But for now, let's get to the final section of our recap episode. And that is Len's favorite 500 albums, which he has completed furiously scribbling while I blathered on about McCartney playing with the stones. (laughs) Uh, why uh, songs in the key of life at number four is an outrage and uh, Donovan Mitchell. So uh, (laughs) over to you, Len. So here you are. I'm doing my 500 favorite albums. 
So although beef is done, yes, we still have probably almost another year of me going through my 500 favorite albums. So many great, so many great uh, albums to go through. Well, I'll be the judge of that. But uh, but Len's track record so far has, has been good. I haven't really disagreed with you on too many. Not really. Not too bad. Um, there's some where I don't know them. Right. And, I'm curious. My final one tonight. I, I'm curious your thoughts on it. If you know it, if you like it or not. The first four you'll be familiar with. Hey. Like last week was... I forgot who we. Oh, last week was U2 week. Yeah, right, right. This week is Springsteen and the Beatles week. Here we go. But before I start, just a reminder if you're a regular Jagbags listener and you like going on Spotify, each week I put all five albums, as long as they're on Spotify, onto my humongous playlist. Oh, man. Jagbags podcast. Most of my 500 favorite albums. Tons and tons of stuff on it. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. My number 200, starting with a couple Springsteen. Tunnel of Love, 1997. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, no, 87. I think it's 80s. 87. I wrote 97. Yeah. And I wrote Kevin Costner rules under it. So we know why I wrote that. <laughs> so tell me what I see when I look in your eyes. Is that you, baby, are just a brilliant disguise. Great, Great song. song. Brilliant disguise. Tunnel love. One step up. Tougher than the rest. This was his eighth album. And it's not an E Street Band album. Even though I guess they play on a few things. But it's mainly just him. Right. And Tunnel of Love won Best Rock Vocal Performance. And that's a great song. And what I kept thinking today. Because I've listened to it a couple times recently. You don't hear these songs. You really don't. You put on The Drive or some classic rock station. You're going to hear. You hear Born to Run. You're born in the USA. Well, you don't hear any of this. And this was a pretty popular album when it came out. It was everywhere because it was the follow-up. It was his first studio album since Born in the USA, which was a monster. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's overlooked. And it got, this is the most shocking thing. Not that it got great reviews, but that our good friend, you guessed it, Bobby C. Mr. Criscow. Called it convincing original stuff. And it was his number three album of that year. Isn't that and cool? And I, rem- I really remember when it came out, not just because of what you said, because it was after Born in the USA, but there was so much talk about it because it was like his breakup album with Julian Phillips, his marriage to Julian Phillips. And I think it gives a lot of, it's almost like, I I don't think it's as good as Blood on the Tracks, but it has that kind of a feel to it, it where you feel that kind of pain, that kind of emotion. But I think too, what makes this, I think what makes this unusual is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he still married to Julianne Phillips when this album came out? And, And so it's like, oh, he's married and he's settling down. And, you know, this is his like quiet, content kind of domestic album. And it's like, I uh, made a huge mistake. <laughs> like, kind of like, oh, I thought this was a good thing, but maybe it's not. Yeah, which is why when you listen to something like Brilliant Disguise, you're just like, well, or maybe, you know, you just thought you thought you two were what she, you both thought you were something else. Right. Maybe, and it's not even that you were wrong. It's just the longer you get to know somebody, then you're like, well, maybe not. Maybe this isn't what I think it is. But it's just great lyrics. Great lyrics. Again, it was, it was really popular. It was number one album. It was the 16th best selling album of the 88. It must have come out late in 87. Yeah. Brilliant Disguise, number five hit. Um, 
Tunnel Love, number nine, and One Step Up, number 13. But you don't hear any of those songs anymore. When's the last time you heard any of those unless you played it yourself? I uh, I can't remember. I'm trying to think. And I... I might have heard Tunnel of Love on XRT or something. Yeah. But it's not one. It's not an album that's in a public consciousness. That's what I like to say about yeah. something like this, which even though it should be, even, even though it was popular at one time. Mm-hmm. And worthily popular, too. Can't accuse any of these songs of being overplayed. Yeah. Okay, my Springsteen twofer continues with The Rising. Oh, now we're fighting. 2002. Now there's tears in on the pillow, darling, where we slept, and you took my heart when you left. Without your sweet kiss, my soul is lost, my friend. Tell me, how do I begin again? My city's in ruins. My city's in ruins. That, of course, is City of Ruins. I love The Rising, Lonesome Day, Waiting on a Sunny Day, and... It's like a post 9-11 album, even though I guess some of these were written before 9-11. And I guess the story is some guy told Springsteen, we need you, right? Yeah. So Springsteen felt like I need to address things on this one. Yeah. And it does, it almost feels, you. it's so weird. Some of these, we talk about this with like Walk On, which came out after September 11th, but I always associate that song with it, even though it came out afterwards. Mm-hmm. And almost every song on this one reminds me of September 11th. And even I mean, just the titles, like Empty Sky and My City of Ruins, yeah. and even Waiting on a Sunny Day, because when that horrible day happened, it was a beautiful day out. Right. So it's always going to be associated with that, <laughs> of course. Good reviews, but the exception was, you guessed it, our good friend Bobby C. What does he say about the right? He said, there is some choice cuts. <laughs> But the album isn't worth your time or money. (laughs) (laughs) But people disagreed. 34th best-selling album of 2002. Oh, yeah. 166th for 2003. Double platinum. I really like this album. This is another one that I feel like you don't hear enough. You don't hear a lot of it. I think the big hits were Waiting on a Sunny Day and The Rising, right? Yeah. I don't even know if they were like, they might have got played in the radio, but they weren't like mainstream hits for sure. No. I don't think any of the songs in this album were. No. I, uh, sadly, I stand with Mr. Chris Gow on this album. I do. I I like, I love The Rising. I love that song. That's mm-hmm. head and shoulders, the best song. And um, I think Waiting on a Sunny Day is, I think he, I don't, I don't know. I feel like he's like, I need to like, get a rousing and it feels like it was forced like they said hey we need you and he's like uh okay um and kind of rush something out like as a sense of duty as opposed to like hey i got something to say here um that's my that's my feeling on on the rising um but you know i also like like to brown nose bobby chris Gow whenever possible <laughs> There's that too. The man who owns Wikipedia. Yes, he's everywhere. He's how did he do it? Okay, we're gonna move on. Now we're gonna have a Beatles twofer. Here we go. Number one ninety eight. Beatles for sale. This is a nineteen sixty four. Look what you're doing. I'm feeling blue and lonely. Would it be too much to ask of you what you're doing to me? This has some of my favorite underrated Beatles songs. What you're doing, every little thing, no reply. I'm a loser. Those are all great. Agreed. The big hit on this album was Eight Days a Week, which I also love. Yep. And I was listening to this 
And I'm like, maybe this should be higher. I mean, I don't, I like every song. The covers, like when the Beatles do covers, they're usually fine. But like Kansas City and rock and roll music, not my favorite, but they're fine. I mean, it's not like I don't like them, but the original ones are so, there's so many. A Hall of Suns on here too. I forgot how great this album is. And of course it was, this one didn't come on CD till 1987. And when I'm doing this countdown, obviously there's gonna be a lot more Beatles albums. So this is like the British version. But I grew up listening to a lot of the American ones. So I'm going to have a couple American versions, including the one I do next. But Beatles for Sale. What's interesting to me. If you're a casual Beatles fan and you don't listen, have this album, give it a listen. It's great. What's interesting to me, too, is that they made this album while, like, they wrote a lot of these songs, like, while on this just punishing world tour. They were, like, on the move, either playing music or touring and dealing with everything and trying to just have lives. And it was just a frenetic, chaos-filled pace. And then they're, like, when they have a free moment, they're trying to write new songs. And uh, so, yeah, it's incredible, incredible that they did all this while just, you know, the the demands of their schedule. They did it in the height of Beatlemania, um, which I think is amazing amazing yeah i mean it's great songwriting yeah incredible all right before i move on to the next one what's your opinion of mr moonlight uh you know mike meredith speaks for me on this mike meredith i always uh i always laugh because mike meredith is a huge beatles fan huge and he's like you know someone something's got to be the worst there's you know there's uh as with any amazing thing there's, there's got to be a song that you, know, you got to put last and that will always be mr moonlight <laughs> So he he's like what when I was whatever fourteen or so and I just got super deep in the Beatles reading everything about him yep. I kept reading Mr Moonlight's the worst Beatles song but to me I, I think Mr Moonlight's fine yeah. it's not like a, even a top one hundred Beatles song but I wouldn't call it the worst yeah you know I mean, his Revolution own- Number Nine isn't even a song I would yeah. pick that ahead of it he doesn't count he doesn't he goes I don't count that it's just he, doesn't, he doesn't count that but I'd have to look I'm sure I. And I love her. I would put that. I know you hate and I love her. I don't like that song. That song makes me go to sleep. Mysterious. So I, I was just curious about that because that was always the one that came up as the worst Beatles song. I'm like, eh, I don't think that's the worst Beatles song. All right, like, my next one is another Beatles one, but this is the American version. Oh, here we go. An American one. And it's the Beatles' second album. What a title. <laughs> <laughs> Inspired. Came out in 1964. I got a something to say that might cause you pain. <laughs> I catch you talking to that boy again. I'm gonna let you down. Let and you, leave down. you flat because I told you before. Oh, you can't do that. And if any of you saw Lane Call, you'll know that our friend and he was a guest on the podcast, Tim Amos. He played uh, Greg Gerstenberger in Lane Call. And the guy says he's in a Beatles sound like he was in a Beatles sound like band and the song one of the songs he sings is you can't do that love it and also devil in her heart I'll get you and most well-known song on here is she loves you and the American versions they're just they're short I remember hard days night Ernie had it growing up and it's the American version is got all these instrumentals on it because they're just milking and milking and milking. So the American version is like, how do we make more money? Let's make, <laughs> let's make these into two albums. 
But I put Beatles second album on my list because this was one of the ones I listened to a lot when I started listening to the Beatles. So I felt like I had to put the American version on there. It's uh, it's incredible the way that uh, record companies just absolutely just squeezed every last drop of profit they could out of the Beatles and how yeah. it's a miracle that they continue to endure because they were just shoved down your throat, every possible product, every way. And it's, it's a testament to their talent that, that, that they're still just as popular today as they were 50, 50, 60 years ago, 60. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Henry, I, <laughs> on the weekends, if I'm trying to, I always try to make sure I listen to my five albums I pick for the week before the podcast. Sometimes yeah. I'll listen to them in the car and I'll be driving around with the kids somewhere. Henry added a bunch of stuff to his playlist from hearing the Beatles ones. Yeah, it's. I think every kid goes through a Beatles phase. I really. Yeah. Um, so that was nice to hear. He he put like six or seven songs on his playlist. It's uh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. And then one last thing before I move on to my final one, Bobby C. This was one of his first four albums he ever bought. Really? There you go. Life. I'm with Bobby. Right, my final album. I don't have with me, so I have to call in the enforcer. Once again, separate office, left a note for Ron Ron. Oh. Ron Ron came to my office this morning in tears saying Alex shipped it to Brad Underwood again. <laughs> now, think, we haven't really talked that? about Morgan the past month or so. Oh, no. Because I gave Morgan a month off because he's been competing in the martial mixed martial arts competition in uh, Bolivia. Yikes. And he won. He won. Oh, boy. And I was so excited. I'm like, Morg, I know usually I like when people work 96 hours a week, but <laughs> it's the holidays. You're a beloved member of the Jagbags team on the same level as Franklin Sampson and Regency. Wow. That is very So I, I gave him a bunch of time off to recover. And me, of course. Uh, yeah. And anyways, <laughs> I had to call him today. I'm like, Morg, you have to come back. Oh, boy. So next week, Morg will be sitting next to Ron Ron. So we've reached, can't we've reached that phase. This cannot be allowed to continue. We've what? I said this cannot be allowed to continue. Right. I don't even know why he's there. Where? Why is he at my office? He should be at your office. Well, I don't you know, get it. Keeps happening. Maybe he's anyways. Looking, maybe he's looking to you for guidance for for life for life. Uh, I don't lessons. even see him because if he was in the office. I would go get out. <laughs> he's clever that way. Anyway, my final one is number one hundred ninety six. It's called Heartland by Real Life. Came out in nineteen eighty three. I don't know this one. Do you believe in heaven above? Do you believe in love? Don't tell a lie. Don't be all, um, don't be false or untrue. It all comes back to you. You don't know that song? I don't. Send me an angel. Send me an angel right now. How about, you know, catch me, I'm falling. You don't know that either? I'm going to. They're both minor hits. I'm looking at the album right now. And I will get yeah. back on. Yeah. Semi Angel was number 29, and Catch Me I'm Falling was number 40 on the charts. Also, as Open Hearted and Burning Blue, mm. it hit number 58 on the album charts. So it's like a new wave album. One critic said it's one of the most overlooked albums of the new wave era, mm. and it was their debut. I played it a lot. I hit it on vinyl and I wore it out. I don't even know if you can get it on CD or anything, but I'm looking it at is it. on Spotify, which I was happy to see. 
And it's also on Apple Music. It's it's uh, labeled as electronic. Yeah, I can see that. And they list, if you like this, check out OMD. That's that's accurate, I think. Okay. I love it. Give it a listen, Beeve, and maybe we'll keep talking about it. Okay, I'm, going, I'm definitely going to listen. And there you have it. Right. We got some... We were lengthy today on the recap. We were getting into it. We had a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, some quick sports updates. Uh, the uh, Giants are ahead of Green Bay 21-13 to 13 with, nice. nine, with nine minutes to go. The Bulls lose in overtime in Milwaukee 133-129. Looked like that was a thriller. Um, yeah, there, I saw DeRozan made a one-footer with one second left to send it to overtime. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, That's bad. That would have been, nice. been a good win. But Plus, Tennessee's beaten Miami. That's surprising. No, it's tied now. It'll be a night of upsets. Well, Green Bay now has the ball, and they are at their own 16, so we'll see. Um, anyway. There's a lot of time left in that game, though. There's <laughs> nine minutes left. That's a lot of time. Yeah. Oh, a lot of lot of football to be played. Um, we want to thank everyone for listening to the recap episode. Uh, please subscribe to us. We are available wherever fine podcasts are found. Uh, please just hit that subscribe button, and you can get quality expertise and life help uh, delivered to your device twice a week. Um, also, uh, we are on social media, so check us out there. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So drop us a line there. Maybe there's a topic you want us to um, explore on a future podcast. Maybe you agree with me that Songs in the Key of Life is uh, not Stevie Wonder's best. Or, or maybe-, maybe you're smart. And you agree with me. Let us know. Tell us all about it. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, so check us out there. Uh, when you're ready to listen, uh, put a little jag bags in your ear.